1: Very spooky.
0: Here comes Leia, lurking Leia. Here she comes. Here she comes, ready to record. Hey. I'm just waiting for her to pounce on your head now. Just sit oh my gosh. atop your head. I would cry because I would <laughs> love that so much. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. She does. Like if
1: I bend down to pick something up, she'll just jump on my back and hitch a ride, which I love. It's my favorite thing
0: in the world. But it is surprising <laughs> when she does it. I wish that she I mean, I love how large she is. But don't you sometimes wish that she was just the appropriate size to sit on your shoulder like a, a little parrot? You could Just <laughs> walk around with her. She would like that, She's apparently. into it. <laughs> well, this is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's
1: Corinne. Hello.
0: And I'm Sabrina. And uh, we are back. We're back. Here we this are. Is it. As expected, we're here every week. I don't think we don't show up. So
1: hopefully no. this isn't surprising. And I have so many TV show and true crime doc Ooh. show Ooh. recommendations. Okay. Hit me. Okay. Well, if you haven't seen The Night Stalker on Netflix yet, Have to watch. It's so creepy. Oh, I watched it. You did? Okay. Yeah, so creepy. I had no idea that he was just, like, taking children
0: out of their bedroom windows, too. That's the part that I was so shocked at, because I always thought that Richard Ramirez was this, like, crazy, creepy killer. Because he didn't ever have, like, one particular particular type for a victim. It could be an 80-year-old woman or, like, a 6-year-old boy. Like, it didn't matter. Yeah. But I didn't realize, yeah, I didn't realize the sexual abuse and, like, child molestation side of his story. Ugh, he's such a monster. Yeah. And I'd also... I knew that he was one of those killers that was, like, a little bit fantasized about from certain women and, like, sexualized. But I, I hadn't realized that it was, like, basically immediate because they were talking about when he was in the cop car, basically after he was arrested, that people were flashing him and everything. I was like, oh, my God, his story is so wild. I just don't understand carol and boons of the world me neither me neither i'd be scared i'd be scared yeah. to even write like sometimes i think about like people who write into killers but yeah. I, even that i would be too scared because what if they got out and then they had they felt like they had more of a connection to you which maybe to you it was just some curiosity and you wrote to them but to them maybe they take it as something more and then come find you yeah there's also those like people
1: who like steal pieces of Ed Kemper or Ed, I you can know, I remember of his gravestone and then like people who like buy serial killer memorabilia online, but it's like real stuff from those serial killers. And I just don't. Oh, yeah.
0: Like, uh, it's like that's such an extreme of of true crime yeah. obsession that John I. John Wayne Gacy did a lot of paintings and I know his paintings. His clowns. Yes. Clown painting. Yeah. Very. You know, I get it, but I don't. I feel like I'm right on the right on the line of where I very much could become one of those people. <laughs> but I, I'm on the other... I'm still seated. Yeah, you're still seated. I'm seated on the correct side for us right now to not be that scared. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Well, this conversation actually lends itself very nicely into the next thing I wanted to talk about. There's a movie on HBO Max and it's called... The little things.
0: Yeah, I watched it. Wow, I uh, actually watched everything that you're recommending. We're
1: so in sync right now. But it's it's that kind of story. Yes, it's creepy. It okay, really and is. Then,
0: I will say for the little things. What did you think about it?
1: I really enjoyed it. I was I was so
0: in. Nick Nick was like it was a little slow, but I really loved it. Okay, I have a couple complaints. I think the acting was phenomenal. I think mm-hmm. the movie, the filming, editing, everything was great. I was expecting another, like, 30% of the movie to continue on once it finished. It didn't feel finished to me. And I I understand that it was about kind of, like, their torment and everything Mm -hmm. when trying to hunt down this particular case, this killer. But I wanted more. And then there were also (laughs) some times where I felt like, I don't want to, like, pick on character development, but I felt like, what's his name? Malik. Yeah. I didn't have a clear... I didn't really see the path from who he was to start to who he ended up. I felt like it happened really quick.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. He was probably my least favorite part of the movie. But Jared Leto is so good. Jared Leto is amazing. I was also kind of
0: satisfied with the
1: ending, but I also like endings like that. That's just like my thing.
0: Yeah. If anyone has seen uh, Nocturnal Animals, Uh, it don't. Got me started. Yeah. It's kind of like that in terms of an ending and... It's more about the characters and what they go through versus...
1: Yeah. Although Nocturnal Animals is like
0: my favorite movie. So good. I rewatched it recently. I showed my whole family and yeah, they were like, what the fuck, Corinne?
1: Did we watch it together? We went to the movies.
0: Yeah, we went went and saw it in theater. Oh, don't you miss going to the theater? I think I liked it so much because I had you to debrief with. And I yeah. feel like we got to like, <laughs> we picked apart all of the themes and like it was, that's why we liked the movie so much was because we like yeah. really dissected it. But we talked about I think that a with lot. a normal movie goer who's not really looking to like deep dive, that one was really <laughs> tough to, to talk It Justin. was very conceptual. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also, I forgot how graphic it was. Oh my gosh, I was like, I know. oh my God, I can't believe I didn't get scarred from this the first time. Because we talked about it. What else is on your... Talking
1: is great. Okay. My list. OK, I know I'm really late to this one, but American Murder on Netflix. I haven't seen that, but it's added to my list. So good. And it's easy to watch. It It's an hour and 20, I think, something like that. But I it made me so angry. Just like there were points in the movie where like, out, like, you know, outsiders were saying certain things and I just wanted to scream. And then it's kind of obvious from the get go who did it. At least I thought so. And I'm sure you will, too, because you're true crime savvy like I am. Cause we would be great investigators, but uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it made me see red. Wow. Okay. And it's it's just a movie. It's not like multi... It's not a miniseries or documentary. It's series. a true crime
1: doc. No. It's okay. just a movie. Great.
0: So th- I can easily crush that. Yeah. Okay. And then this is
1: fiction. It's called Lupin. And it's a French show. So you watch it in French with English subtitles. And it is fantastic. And it takes place Lupin. in paris and it's just like this like guy who does all these heists and it's his life and it's so Ooh. good the actor is mesmerizing like he's just so talented it's delightful is it on netflix it's on netflix okay lupin i also right. found myself dreaming in french after watching it and i was like i don't think i
0: understood anything that happened in my dream but it was in french it was in french that's what happened to me when i watched narcos i was suddenly my dreams were in spanish and, yeah. but I was struggling. It was like everyone else was speaking Spanish and then I was mm-hmm. trying to communicate with people in my dreams and I was like struggling and they were correcting me on my yeah. Spanish. And I was like, is this actually a dream or is, am I in a simulation and I'm truly learning Spanish right now? How cool if you could learn a different language in your dreams? In your dream. Yeah. You basically productive. get all that time back because it's just yeah. while you're sleeping. <laughs> All your French is going to start coming back to you. I know I have I know. a book recommendation. Ooh, I just finished tell. this book when reading the reviews. I think it was really like one side or the other where people were like, "Oh, I saw that twist coming from a mile away mm-hmm. or people that were still very much enjoying the story. okay. It's called "The Girl in the Mirror." Oh, you just sent this to our little book club group. Yes, I did. So, okay. not the girl in the window. There's always, like, there's the girl in the window, the girl in the train. There, there's all of those. It's the girl. The girl next door. Yeah. In the mirror. Okay. Ooh. It was very good. It's essentially about, there's these twins, identical twins that grow up together. But it's about mm-hmm. them as adults embarking on a journey and then something happens to one of them and just, like, absolute chaos ensues after it and it's like Ooh. mystery thriller crime murder that whole genre wow. our typical okay. genres <laughs> i'll add it to my good reads yeah it's great i yeah. loved it If anybody else has recommendation i feel like we should just like post on instagram or something being like what are your book recommendations what are your t- yeah. what tv shows are you watching
1: i do need a new tv show so please we should do that let's do that let's do an instagram story
0: Yeah, I'm down because I I want all the all the wrecks from everybody. Okay, here we are. Here we are. Well, our episode for uh, this week was picked by a Patreon donor, Connor.
1: So thank you, Connor. Thank you, Connor. We it's funny. We have been going back and forth with Connor for like, I feel like a year. I know way too long. (laughs) (laughs) But we finally picked a topic and we're very excited about it. It is Haunted asylums, sanatoriums.
0: And I will yes. go first. Okay. Built atop Hawthorne Hill in Danvers, Massachusetts, sits a stunning and grand red brick gothic structure. The building was built back in 1878, costing $1.5 million to construct it. Damn. But a cost that was well worth it at the time, as this building was set to be the new hospital. The Danvers State Hospital- a psychiatric hospital, which some now refer to as the Danvers Insane or Lunatic Asylum. Wait,
1: we've talked about Danvers, like referenced it, right? And haven't we been like, we have to talk about this fully? Okay. Yes. Yes.
0: I believe I was like, you have to do it, Sabrina. I think you had referenced it in one of your stories. I was like, you should do it. You should do it. But I'm done waiting, so <laughs> I did it. <laughs> it's also so close to where I live because I'm in Boston. And it's like 30 minutes outside of Boston. Oh, my so gosh. Wait. I can do a little drive-by during COVID times. You should have recorded in your car outside of it. Oh, man, what a missed opportunity. I'm so mad at myself. We'll do that for
1: another one. We'll do a whole Boston episode. Okay.
0: If we ever get our Scooby-Doo time machine, what's it called? But we were joking about getting a a little road trip. Oh, yeah. our road trip. And we could just go around and no one steal that idea. That's our (laughs) idea. Okay. TM. I'm like, that's a pretty good idea. But I think we should do it. Yeah. TM. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this hospital, the Danvers State Hospital, it actually inspired H.P. Lovecraft and is believed to be the hospital that he based. I'm going to butcher this name Arkham. Arkham Sanatorium. Mm-hmm. Arkham? Yep. I said it right. Okay. Arkham Sanatorium off of in his books, which then inspired DC comic writers to introduce Arkham Asylum, aka Danvers State Hospital, into the Batman storyline. And this is the hospital where Batman's unstable enemies were essentially yep. locked away. But. This hospital wasn't intended to make it into the bad guys section of a comic (laughs) book. Originally, it was supposed to do some good. The hospital was pretty unique. It was actually totally isolated at the time of its being built. And it was almost entirely self-sufficient. So this meant that they were not using too many outside resources. The whole entire place was essentially supposed to be this campus where you didn't necessarily have to leave Mm. for much at all. It had two main buildings with four wings. And they had separated male and female patients uh, by these wings. And they had a small square tower, actually multiple small square towers that connected housing units. And then Middleton Pond was responsible for supplying the hospital with water. And based off of this layout and all of their resources, they were pretty much fully equipped to house about 500 Patients. That's what they had planned for. Danvers State Hospital was to be a hospital that was focused on providing compassionate care to those suffering from mental disabilities and illnesses. So this wasn't something that was at the time a normal thing. I think in the past, there were a lot of mistreatment and gross misconduct done in these hospitals, especially with patients like this. But there was this period of reform going and this hospital was supposed to be this like shiny new result of all of these contributions and and, whatnot that so many people had rallied for to have better care and more compassionate care for people who are suffering from mental disabilities or illnesses. So at the time, medical professionals believed that all instabilities were treatable. They were just simply diseases. And so they were going to house everybody in here and treat them with care and compassion and as human beings. Sounds so nice, but I fear (laughs) what's to come. Yes. Right. Never really goes as we hope. But everyone at the time was feeling really good about Danvers State Hospital and what they had set out to do. They were bringing humane treatment to those in need. And over the years, new buildings were constructed. They brought in a gym, an auditorium. Those were added. They had a bunch of uh, solariums. I don't know how to what the plural is, but different solariums, which is honestly like that sounds like a dream mm-hmm. to me living in New England in the cold winter right now to just be able to, like, basically sit in a greenhouse and get some sun. That sounds amazing. Yes. And so they just did a bunch of updates and additions to the property over time. The building became so large that the underground tunnels, which connected all of the buildings to one another, became quite confusing, basically a labyrinth of passageways. And the final shape of the building looked somewhat, like, sort of from an aerial view, somewhat like a bat in flight. And this was meant to let... Uh, air and sunlight through the entire building. So it was supposed to contribute to people's health, their physical health, breathe some fresh air, get some sunlight, feel good mentally, physically, and be on their way to being cured. But also, if it had like a bat leg shape, no wonder it was inspired Batman. I know. I never thought about that. And also, Danvers is right next to to Salem. So it's a little spooky Halloween. That's... So many meetings in this. But as the building grew, so did the patient number. The building was only equipped to hold 500 mm-hmm. people, but it now held over 2,600 <gasps> patients. No crazy. So patients were squeezed into every corner. Some were held in the basement. Ugh. They were just largely over capacity and the staff. They were just so overwhelmed and they were struggling to treat the patients and to keep the patients safe, to keep themselves safe. The overflow just was absolute, like, it That's was horrible. It led terrible. to chaos. Terrible. And patients were getting really rowdy. Some were violent. There was a whole bunch of people in there of varying uh, levels of disabilities or, or mental capacities. Yeah. And so... It was not good for everybody to just basically be left running around freely. And that's kind of what happened. They were largely left alone, isolated, wandering the halls. Some were nude and covered in their own filth. It was disgusting. And though they were not cared for or attended to, if a patient misbehaved, the staff would then place the patient into a straitjacket and just ignore (gasps) them for days. Oh, my gosh. So the patient center... Compassionate Care Hospital had taken a horrible turn. In 1939 alone, 12% of the patient population died. 12%. That's around that was around 250 that is people. Horrendous. It was like 230 something. I can't remember the exact number, but Whoa. horrendous. In just absolutely insane. And the hospital which had an original focus obviously on caring for patients, They were now looking to expand and include other programs. So forget all of these patients. Let's think about our future and what else we can do here. So they brought in a training program for nurses as well as a research laboratory. And so you might be thinking like, oh, well, that's actually great news. Like, They're going to get more people, better staff, more training, and have new technologies and like medical discoveries brought into the hospital. Not when you hear research at a... Mental hospital is a good call. Red flag. Good call. Yep. You're on it. You're on it. You're on it. Okay. So it was a nice thought, but it's not what happened. Sabrina's on the right, on the right track here. Because in nineteen forty two, Walter Freeman had quote unquote perfected the prefrontal mm. lobotomy. And now there's a whole lot of drama behind this person and the person who created the first lobotomy, which was in Portugal. And that guy is essentially being shot by a patient. And then Freeman himself, he goes too far. He loses his rights to practice. He kills patients. He has a falling out with his working partner that also does lobotomies, et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to go into too much detail there. But if you want to know more, there are quite a few podcasts that cover lobotomies and also NPR on their website. They have a good timeline of events Ooh. on said website. But what's important here. Is that Freeman, the guy who started to really practice and bring lobotomies around the Mm -hmm. U.S., he was gaining a lot of notoriety for his surgeries at this time. And he was performing a prefrontal lobotomy on patients where he essentially just used this pick, like an ice pick, and he would jab it through a patient's eye into their brain. I'm going to pause for people to skip forward 15 seconds if they're already like, oh, my God, what's (laughs) happening? He would wiggle it around a little bit. Just willy-nilly scraping all the gook, willy-nilly, so that the brain's connections to the prefrontal lobe would be severed or at least severely impaired. And then he would just take it out. He'd stick it in, wiggle, 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 stick it out through the eyeball. And the frontal lobe, if you don't know, is in the human brain is responsible for things such as problem solving, memory, language, motivation, judgment, impulse control, social and sexual behavior. And so after these treatments, patients were just left like dull they were passive they were calm they weren't really doing much or probably thinking too much like they were they were just in almost a vegetative uh. state just wandering around it looks like they were on like pumped with drugs have you watched ratchet no it's the like nurse ratchet tv show
1: done by ryan murphy on netflix and they do a lot of this oh that's
0: what's her name is in it sarah paulson yes mm-hmm Okay, I've been meaning to watch that one. Every time I see that she's in it, I'm like, oh, I need to watch. It's okay. I I didn't love it. But
1: the stuff they do about lobotomies and like some of the just like medical practice stuff they talk about from that time is
0: really, truly horrific. It's disgusting. And it was honestly not just happening here. It was widespread across Europe as well at the time. Mm -hmm. It was pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And really horrible. Yeah. So after these treatments, everybody was just kind of like dull And families of the patients were like, oh, my God, success. And nurses and doctors are like, success. We can finally deal with this person now. They're so easy. Bravo, Dr. Freeman. And Danvers State Hospital, they learn of this procedure. And they're like, sign us up. And so they bring the procedure in, resulting in the future reputation of being the birthplace of the lobotomy. So this isn't necessarily true because it was originally created by this doctor in Portugal, then used Mm -hmm. by Dr. Freeman, largely in the like Washington, D.C. area. But Mm -hmm. this title was given to Danvers State Hospital because they were like, yes, let's do it. This is the solution to all of our problems. You get a lobotomy. You get a lobotomy. Everybody gets a lobotomy. Oh, my gosh. And so they basically just had this like widespread use of the lobotomy and would like refine the practice and and just like willy-nilly did it everywhere. So they popularized it. Yeah, because a lobotomy will fix every single problem because all of your problems are the exact same. For sure. That's what they believed. And so the patients went from being neglected to now being subjected to shock therapy, psychosurgeries, and a shit ton of lobotomies. Whoa. And this triggered other hospitals across the nation to copy their practices. Yep. So Danvers was like the bad kid that made everyone else misbehave. So big yikes there. And after the lobotomies, they the patients, they weren't allowed to leave. So it's not just like, oh, we treated you and you're cured. Like, you're now released. They were basically kept there like held captive and so they were held in this hospital mindlessly wandering around staring at walls not caring about much at all after these surgeries and i didn't get a total number of deaths but i did find a report that listed out the deaths for like two or three years in a row and it showed some 200 people dying in those like each year and so i assume the number of deaths has to be over a 1,000 at the minimum. I'm sure. And I know it's at least close because the hospital does have a cemetery. And that cemetery had 770 numbers, keyword numbers, numbered plots. So no names, just giving the deceased patient a number. Number one, dead. Number two, dead. Number three, dead. And there were 770 patients who were put in these plots, 770 patients whose bodies were not claimed. So, that's where they were buried on the property, but I'm sure there were some bodies that were claimed, and so the actual number of deaths, I assume, has to be greater. Wow. And then eventually, because of budget cuts, the hospital shuts down certain wings, and this happens in the 60s, and then most of the hospital in 1985 shuts down before closing entirely in 1992. And it's left there. It's abandoned. It's rotting away for many years. But then in 2006, it was purchased and a good amount of the building was demolished, despite it being on the National Historic Landmark Registration, whatever. But they had gotten permits to essentially like take down some of the buildings, demolish it and redo it. The main structure is still standing. And so then they turned it into apartments. And then in 2007, a fire broke out demolishing a lot of the apartments, ruining it, and some of the utility buildings. And the cause of the fire is still unknown. So was it paranormal? Was it these spited spirits? Maybe, but we don't know exactly how the fire started. But the fire isn't the only strange no. thing to happen in these new apartment buildings, this new complex which isn't surprising if we think about the horrible conditions of the hospital and of the patients yeah. and the gross treatment and misconduct of done by the medical staff over many decades. But also, one other notable thing to mention is that this property itself was once home to John Hawthorne, the judge <gasps> who presided over the Salem witch trials. Whoa. So back in the day... Danvers, well, present-day Danvers is right next to Salem. But back in the day, part of modern-day Danvers included Hawthorne Hill, where Danvers State Hospital was built, and that was part of Salem Village. And so this judge, his house was on this hill where the hospital was then built a couple centuries later. So we now have witch trials and patient abuse all in one hill. Oh, my gosh. Enter in the ghosts. Because yes, yes, lots of them. This building... It's haunted. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. People who've entered the building, either when it was a hospital towards the end of its tenure being a hospital or illegally because there was a ton of trespassing when it was abandoned, or now as new tenants or people just entering this new apartment complex, many people have experienced run-ins with spirits that have been left behind. Gerilyn Levesseur, she grew up on the grounds when the hospital was still in practice was still being ran. her father was an administrator for the hospital for some time and they their house was on the property. Um, so they were one of the buildings in this like large large plot of land that included the hospital mm-hmm. and she said that she encountered many angry and scowling spirits and that these spirits would terrorize her and her siblings when they were little and she remembers when she was in high school uh, she would wake up to her bed sheets being like yanked off of her in the middle of the night. And her entire family, they would hear footsteps. They would witness doors opening and closing. The lights in their home would turn on and off. And one of Gerilyn's most memorable run-ins for the spirit happened when she and her two siblings, her sister and her brother, they were together and they were playing upstairs in the attic of their home. And there appeared an old woman who was very angry and scowling at them. And they were so scared by this woman's appearance that they just froze there in fear. And they were just standing there under this woman's stare until their mom finally called for them and they ran to her. But a lot of people have experiences like this. People report seeing old patients walking aimlessly through the halls with vacant looks, perhaps based off of that description, I would think lobotomy victims. Right. And the sounds of patients talking, their cries, their requests for help and attention can be heard throughout the halls. And on stormy days, phantom footsteps will be heard from the top floor. Ooh. And visitors also report the feeling of immense pain and foreboding when they enter the property, which was something experienced by those admitted to Danvers State Hospital. So they are now wearing that same feeling. Oh, whoa. And today, the building is operating as Bradley Danvers. If you are curious, you can look it up. It's, I am. It's honestly, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. <laughs> They're luxury apartments. They have so pretty all the bells and whistles. So the main structure, the main like gothic structure, still stands. It's just I think the rest of the buildings that were on the property were torn down and like redone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the inside of the main structure is redone and is now apartments. But from the outside, it's still I think pretty authentic. Uh, but this new apartment complex, they—I <laughs> was looking. They have a beautiful pool outside. They have a yoga studio, virtual golf, a theater room, juice bar, boxing room, sports court, kids room, arcade oh room, etc. And yeah, I looked at the pictures and I was like, okay. Had I not known what I know now, I probably absolutely would have wanted to move there. And it's kind of affordable. I'm looking at it; it totally is, especially for this area. Like my my rent without any of. The perks is know, right? the same. So I was like, damn. But yeah, I was like, oh, well, now I know the backstory. I can't live there. But then also part of me was like, well, I'm not going to rule it out. Whoa. OK, so now I'm
1: also looking at pictures on DanversStateHospital.org. And they have like all mm-hmm. these old pictures from the interiors of the hospital. And they're just like yeah, they have like
0: blueprints and stuff on. Well, there's on just like this suitcase full of little like strips with like blood on them. It's gross. And if you just Google just off of the website because I don't think they necessarily put all the the dirty deets on their website when I was looking. But if you just Google image Danvers State Hospital, you'll see the creepy, creepy pictures of when it was left abandoned and there are mm-hmm. like rotting medical chairs and they have that on this website. It's they like, do. Oh, very I, did, I Clearly didn't do a deep and, enough dive. Oh
1: my gosh, the cemetery like that—they're just numbered. Uh huh. I
0: know. Whoa! This is. Yeah, they're reducing Gnarly. all of the people that they essentially tortured for their whole lo- the rest of their lives to a number. To a number. This is whoa, so spooky and so sad. And now everyone splashes around in a pool and drinks margaritas and doesn't know what if that pool was built over a grave? I, well, I looked on I looked on Google Earth and I was trying to find where the cemetery was now that it's been redone and I didn't see anything. Doesn't mean it's not there. I just didn't see it. Interesting. I was zooming in on any like open green spaces looking for some little markers. But the pool's like
1: definitely built where like old buildings used to be. So Mm -hmm. there's some probably some
0: dark stuff reaching its hands out from under the water. And it makes me so curious because this seems like such a big construction project to convert this and demolish all of these other external buildings. I'm curious if the construction company working ever had anything odd happen because it sounds like anyone who lived there definitely did we should this is a good call
1: or plea to all of our listeners if you or any of your family members like work on construction sites and have stories about hauntings on those sites please
0: email them to us because we should do a whole encounters on it oh my god absolutely i love that and also too because like sometimes it's going to be a new build and every people who don't know too much about hauntings might be like well i built my house so it can't be haunted but but it can no the workers it hasn't even been built yet and it's already haunted oh my gosh wow Wow. horrible horrible situation i'm honestly shocked there's not more like darkness when it comes to the spirits there people say that they don't ever feel like there's going to be harm done to them by the spirits that they encounter mm -hmm. but it's still just really it's really sad it's just awful and
1: because your story is very, very similar to what I'm going to talk about in just a few moments, but like, it's just awful that it's nothing new, you know, that we can find multiple places, many, not even just multiple, it's like hundreds of places just in the U.S. that all had similar circumstances like this. And just like half of the people that are, that were committed to these mental institutions were not...
0: Mentally ill by any means. Right. And even if we take away the mental hospital aspect of it, they're basically being treated like prisoners. And yeah. the prisoners, <laughs> like we've been to the Liberty Hotel that used to be like the Charleston Street Jail or whatever here in Boston. Right. And they closed down from their horrible treatment of inmates. And so it's like now you're taking people who have mental illnesses or something else medically or or mm-hmm. are just dropped off by parents or family that doesn't want to deal with them yep. and is essentially held prisoner and treated as people treat hardened criminals and even that's not right to do so oh. it's just yeah i feel like any institution I know that it's still definitely happening today, but when we look back at some of these historical places, even if they closed in like the 1990s, which is not long ago. Not at all. It's crazy. It's crazy how much everyone was just... Do you watch The Crown? No, I started it, but I'm only like two episodes in and didn't get super into it, so...
1: Oh, it's so good. Once you once you get into it and like realize it's not going to get... it's It's always going to be slow. It's great. In the most recent season, they talk about how... i can't can't remember who specifically but like they like claimed that three people like three people in like not directly related to the royal family but like cousins of were had died but they were all just like put into a mental institution what
0: yeah and this is because the crown is it's like pretty much factual right it's a it's a representation Mm -hmm. of what actually happened within the royal family yeah okay now i'm gonna rewatch it i'm here for the drama i want to (laughs) know the secrets There's a lot of drama. And then Princess Diana comes
1: in in the most recent season.
0: I almost started with the most recent season. I was like, what if I just watch her season? I mean, technically you could. Okay, maybe I'll do that. And then once I'm hooked, I'll go back and watch the earlier seasons. It's a good plan. Okay. Alrighty, let's hear
1: what you picked. So, mine is very similar to yours, just in terms of, you know, how terrible everyone was treated. Mm -hmm. And... It is called the New York City Lunatic Asylum or the Octagon or Blackwell Island Asylum. It kind of has many names and it's changed over the years. But whatever you want to call it, the conditions within this asylum were horrific and foul and just unlivable. Bread molding, black and dirty Boiled water pass off as soup, soiled sheets, cold oh. baths. Patients were forced to go to bed still wet from their cold baths without so much as a blanket to cover their toes. Oh my gosh. And those were the best parts of life in inpatient treatment at the asylum. Many of the patients are poor. They were from immigrant families and had no one who could provide for them on the outside. So therefore they were deemed mentally insane and locked within the walls of the asylum like inmates. And the more that they claimed sanity, the more that they were viewed insane it's kind of fascinating like the amount of stories of people who either got out of the the asylum and just were like wrote their accounts of just anytime they tried to claim that they were sane the doctors and nurses gave them worse treatments than they did any other patients
0: which that's is awful. literally a nightmare that's american horror story yeah season yeah. two or whatever it's asylum
1: it's shutter island too it's just like yes yeah. their idea of psychological treatment consisted of patients sitting upright on a bench in silence from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. They were not allowed to move, not even like cross a leg or scratch an itch. And if they did, they were scolded. If they tried to speak, they were reprimanded or they were choked, given a black eye. Their hair was physically ripped out of their scalps by the nursing staff. And it was just like the one thing that I couldn't find with this one is like, well, let's build this asylum to better how we're taking care of the mentally ill. It wasn't, that was not the intention behind it. It was just like, we are overrun with all of our other hospitals in New York City. And so let's build this one and just like send a ton of people here and not have enough nursing staff and also not hire nursing staff for doctors who truly care about making them better. It's just about like keeping them out of our city.
0: Yeah, that's another thing. That's like, you know, there's like a bystander effect. And then there's also fear of reporting things within the the medical industry and essentially like blacklisting yourself. Yeah. I know that from listening to (laughs) some medical podcasts, like Dr. Death. Yeah. But I'm still like, how do they find this large group of people who are supposed to pledge to make people's lives better and to care for their patients and to save their lives? How do they find a group of people that have the the job expertise and the licensing to do so, but feel the complete opposite and are just like willing to torture people. Yeah, I
1: have no idea. And I also want to say that it's probably not every single doctor and every single nurse that was just evil and awful, you know, going along the lines of lobotomies and shock, electric shock therapy, and these just very what we think of as archaic now, those were just what the, they thought was right and what they should be doing. So I feel like they were just following orders and doing what they were supposed to be doing or told to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, even if we look at death sentences and the what's used yeah. to kill people on, on death row, even that is like largely up for debate. Yes. Whether it's a humane practice and that sounds like it kinda isn't because not it's not quick and painless like it's supposed to be. Right. Well, the patients at the New York City
1: lunatic asylum were considered lucky if all they were given as punishment were being choked, getting a black eye, or hair being ripped out of their heads. Because the worst of the treatments practiced on Blackwell Island's asylum was the lobotomy, which we were just talking about and we all know was a common practice, but it's just actually a horrific torture and just severs the frontal cortex so it's like it's just not it just makes you a zombie like you were saying
0: it's literally like silence of the lambs hannibal lecter that level of of disgusting practice
1: yeah so just as a little bit of background during the 1800s immigrants started flooding new york city looking for jobs and the promise of like the american dream but so many of them came to the city and struggled to find that job like find that life find jobs or find places to live and quickly ran out of money and couldn't afford housing and had no one to help them. And so they, majority of the people who ended up in mental asylums were these people who just had no money, no family probably couldn't speak much English and the asylum started getting overrun in New York city. And so more asylums need to be had to be built. And this is where the New York city lunatic asylum comes into play. So it was built by an influential architect, Alexander Jackson Davis, and opened in 1841 on New York's Blackwell Island, which is also now known as Roosevelt Island. It's like in the middle of the boroughs. And the main building, which housed offices and physician apartments called the Octagon, actually inspired, and this is so funny because it's very similar to yours too, inspired the architecture and a look for Gotham's Arkham Asylum. <gasps> wow so whoever was writing batman comics was looking at clearly they were in the north they were in the northeast and they were (laughs) We're very interested in mental asylums i guess yeah um if you know anything about roosevelt island which i didn't know very much but i found out that it's famously haunted and filled with many bizarre mysteries there's like an old smallpox hospital on the island there's a creepy lighthouse which i will get to And the infamous New York City Asylum is a place that is known and has been known for its abysmal treatment of its patients. The building that exists today is located at 888 Main Street on Roosevelt Island. It was built upon 15 acres of land and built to hold 278 patients. But by 1870, they were nearly 1,700 patients. Oh my gosh. So very similar to yours again,
0: overcrowding,
1: People were sleeping on the floors, which it
0: just seems like shouldn't you just say no? Like, I've never understood that, especially with college universities where they like force a triple or like force extra people in dorms. Like, don't admit people if you don't have room. But these people don't have I mean, they
1: that's the thing is that New York was just overcrowded that they were building multiple more asylums. So I just I I'm curious and I should have looked this up and I didn't think about it until now, but I'm curious how many people were admitted to mental asylums during this time. Because the way I'm imagining it is that they built like 10 asylums and they were all this overcrowded.
0: Yeah. Which I want to know, where were these people before, too? Like what was happening to them before? Yeah.
1: Of the 1,700 patients, only about 30 to 40 people in that 1,700 were actually truly in need of mental psychiatric care. And the others were, like I said, poor, had no family, Mm -hmm. no place to stay, couldn't find jobs, immigrants, couldn't speak English. No one could support them. So they ended up in asylums. The patients in the asylum were forced to endure outright torturous conditions. They were mistreated. They were not given enough food. They had very little sleeping accommodations. They were given electroshock therapy or worse, lobotomies. In the 1840s, Charles Dickens visited the hospital And there's a website for the current place that's called the Octagon right now. And on the website, it's like very selectively quoting Charles Dickens because it's like, oh, Charles Dickens visited our place and said, it's remarkable, spacious and elegant. But what they left out on their website is that he also went on to say that after touring the rest of the asylum, he realized the building was extremely unsanitary and disorderly, stating that everything had a lounging, listless madhouse air And it was all very painful oh my god he expressed his feelings of such deep disgust and measureless contempt for the building but uh but that's not important right just that he said remarkable spacious and and elegant is what we what needs to be quoted one of the more famous stories to come from new york city's lunatic asylum is that of john mccarthy and mccarthy was a patient at the asylum who was plagued by a fear that at any moment the British troops were going to come and attack Roosevelt Island and Roosevelt Island specifically. And so at this point, the Revolutionary War was like over a hundred years ago. It's now 1872. there's no real present fear of this on a global scale, but McCarthy was so consumed by it. He truly believed that there was going to be an attack and that he was going to die. so he planned an escape. But his escape was not to get away from Blackwell Island. It was to escape and build a wall along the whole perimeter of the island to protect it from a potential attack. And so, sure enough, McCarthy did it. He escaped in 1872 and began building a wall on the north end of the island. He created a fortress like wall from the River Clay and, like, made some efforts, like, s- some forward momentum here and was building a wall. And then also started building a lighthouse, like, all by himself. Wow. (laughs) And eventually he was, you know, caught and brought back to the asylum. But parts of his work still survives. And there's a rock kind of near the part of the wall that does remain. And there's a description that he had, like, carved into the rock. And it reads, This is the work done by John McCarthy, who built the lighthouse from the bottom to the top. All ye who do pass may pray for his soul when he dies. And there's actually a lighthouse on Roosevelt Island in this, like, exact location where he was building his. And there are some romantics who are like, this is the, the lighthouse that McCarthy built. But McCarthy had no materials. So I, I think he probably started building, like, a base of the lighthouse and he never actually yeah. built anything.
0: Like the sandcastle version of a lighthouse
1: with exactly, clay. Exactly. But there is a lighthouse, like, basically in the same location. And there's a lot of spooky stuff that happens surrounding it. So people think it's McCarthy.
0: But... Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty impressed with what he did. I know. I'm not sure if I had found him. I'm not sure I would have brought him back. I would have just been like, yo. Keep going. Stop in for a meal or two when you need, but like, (laughs) do what you do. Pretty impressed. Yeah. I mean, also, it is
1: sad that he was plagued by this concern of an attack that, you know. True. Some paranoia, perhaps. Yes. Yes, yes. Perhaps the most famous story connected to Blackwell's asylum is that of Nellie Bly. And it's, I mean... Yeah, it's an incredible story. It does remind me of uh, American Horror Story Asylum. But basically, in 1887, word of the inhumane treatment at New York City's lunatic asylum spread, and a journalist by the name of Nellie Bly wanted to do something about it. And unfortunately, her first attempt was to get entry into the hospital and, like, you know, try to investigate on her own and see the conditions for herself, but her and her employers were denied entry because clearly the hospital didn't want journalists in there. Mm -hmm. Wonder why. And so Nellie decided to go undercover to go into the belly of the beast and get to the bottom of the corruption. And how did she do that? She feigned a mental illness to get admitted into the hospital. So she basically like stirred up a whole commotion on a street, or I don't know the specifics, but she was admitted to Bellevue hospital where her, the doctors like interrogated her and like left her in her room. And she she ended up like causing agitation and chaos within like the waiting room that she was in. And like other patients like were starting to yell and saying like, get her out of this room, get her out of the room. So it was very easy for her to be diagnosed as insane. And Bellevue was like, OK, great. You're insane. And transferred her to Blackwell Island Asylum or New York City Lunatic Asylum and once she arrived, she stopped pretending to be insane and just started acting normal, which, similar to what I said earlier, only made the doctors and nurses call her more insane. And so she was trapped in this hospital with no allies, no contact to the outside, and was tormented with rotting food, cruel attendants, and cramped and diseased conditions. She would talk to the other patients and became very convinced that they were all just as sane as she was, but were slowly becoming insane because of the conditions that they were forced to endure in the asylum.
0: Wow. She
1: wrote, this is just an excerpt. She ended up writing a book about it, but this is an excerpt from it. She wrote, What accepting torture would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? Here is a class of women sent to be cured. I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action, which has proven their ability to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, Shut her up and make her sit from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. on straight back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. She also witnessed sane women get taken away and then return zombie-like because of lobotomies. Mm. And it was just like women who truly had, from her perspective, nothing wrong with them. And she was held in the asylum for 10 days before she was finally released with the help of her editors. And once she got on the outside, she out of the hospital in its conditions in a book called 10 Days in a Madhouse, and it spurred an investigation into the asylum, but the asylum had apparently gotten the heads up and tried to remedy their conditions for a brief period of time. And so instead of like the rotting bread and food that they had, they end up like replacing it with like clean white bread and all this stuff. And instead of facing any consequences, the asylum was granted a $1 million budget increase. And they were basically like, oh, we investigated and you're doing the best that you can, but you need more money in order to like help all these people. That can be a good thing, right? Because then they got money and you would think that it would be good funds to help remedy the violence and ill treatment of the patients. But um, it didn't. Patients were still forced to sleep on the floor. The food very quickly went back to that rotting, black, gross food. The treatments did not change. So finally, in 1894, the state took control of the New York City asylum and basically was like, we're taking control, but we're shutting the, the chain of it on Blackwell's island within five years. So finally, in February of 1901, the final patients of the asylum were transferred to other New York City hospitals, officially bringing an end to the asylum on Blackwell Island. But unfortunately, it doesn't mean that those patients were moved to better conditions. And it's just horrible and sad. And there is no positivity or nothing positive <laughs> really in the end of this. The asylum was left to decay and eventually most of it was destroyed by a fire. The only building that remained was the Octagon, which is the building that inspired Arkham Asylum and, it, and its construction. And it previously served as the lobby and entrance to the asylum And that building was deemed a landmark, but the building was left abandoned from 1955 until 2000 when, very similar to Danvers, a private company bought the land and decided to Mm -hmm. renovate and expand upon the octagon and turn it into a luxury apartment building. People just want that money! I know. So several one-bedroom, two-bedroom, and studio units have been developed within the walls of the former asylum, and for the low monthly cost of $2,500 a month for a studio... You too can live in the building that once housed an ill and poorly treated the sick and suffering. I think there's like 500 people who live or who can live in the Octagon. It has newly renovated amenities like a dual fitness center, a resort-style pool, kids' playrooms, an entertainment center, and a 24-7 shuttle at your convenience. And a bonus amenity that comes for free are the ghosts. No
0: extra charge. For free of charge. Free of charge. Oh, wow. Okay, I... I'll be honest. I did not know that this was even... I just had to look it up because I was like, how do you live on an island in New York? But I didn't realize that there was this like little sliver of an island next to Manhattan. Isn't it cool? The tiniest little thing. It's very cool. I want to live there. What does it look like? Have you been? To Roosevelt
1: Island? Not... No. I've seen it from Manhattan, but I've never been on the island itself. It feels like a cool little community. It's pretty quiet. There were a few people who wrote Not about their haunting experiences at the Octagon while living there, but more just that, like, we ended up moving
0: because there's not much to do. Yeah. And you're you have to you're reliant on public transportation to get anywhere Yeah, to do anything, (laughs) but maybe a little sanctuary.
1: Maybe. But residents there have claimed to hear strange sounds, lights will turn on and off. There are strange things that will like pass in peripheral vision. Some people have claimed that their pets refuse to go into certain areas because they're scared. I don't know. Trust your pets. And there's so many strange things that have happened surrounding in and about the octagon that people have become suspicious. And the first thing that happened was the very first day that the octagon opened for apartment renting, the Roosevelt Island tram to Manhattan broke down for the entire day. Mm. And no one could really figure out what was wrong with it and what had happened. And it was like something didn't want anyone to come or go from the island. Also, during Hurricane Sandy in 2012, the Octagon building is one of two buildings to have lost power in New York City. So only two buildings lost power, and the Octagon was one of them, even though it had a state-of-the-art fuel cell installed the year before. And it was, like, marked as, like, energy efficient and, like... That's so weird. It was a little suspicious. A woman who went to visit, her name is Melissa, said that when she first walked into the Octagon to go look at apartments... She noticed, like, oh, look, this is so beautiful. There's, like, these beautiful spiraling staircases up in the rotunda. But almost immediately, she was overcome by a wave of fear and dread and felt lightheaded and ran outside. And she was like, had I not gone outside, I felt like I would have collapsed within the, like, just on the floor there. And so she was like, I don't want an apartment here. Wow. Another visitor may have captured a ghost on camera while descending the stairwell and have a picture. It's, like, this, like, white little blur that i can't totally tell what it is but like doesn't really seem like it's like a reflection or anything i'll post it on our instagram and many ghost hunter teams have tried to visit the octagon some have successfully gotten in and captured thermal imaging or caught evps of voices crying but the octagon tries to maintain an upscale vibe and like look we're like a bougie apartment complex we're not haunted so they try to keep out most of the ghostly looky loos but they can't keep the ghosts away because they're there and they do haunt. And based on the conditions that they were forced to live, they have every right to. So if you're not too spooked and are looking for some new digs in New York, they're currently offering up to three months free. Corinne, you want to live there?
0: Mm, maybe. <laughs> Honestly, I'm as you're talking, I'm dragging the little man around Google Earth and just walking the island and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the island is like cute. And it's so cute. It has everything you need. It has a garden. <laughs> it has a post office. It has a couple restaurants, a nail salon, so many parks. Yeah. And you're yeah. surrounded by waters. So it's beautiful. What a good little like running and walking trail. Up to three months free. Up to three months free. And it has a view of Costco. I'm looking across the water at Costco right now.
1: <laughs> what else could you ask for? <laughs> that is the now called the Octagon Apartments, but wow. used to be called new york city's lunatic asylum or blackwell island asylum
0: that's wild it's crazy how many similarities there are and it just yeah mm-hmm. it, like you said it goes to show how frequent this was happening everywhere everywhere yeah just the fact that it's on the island makes it feel so much worse because i know when you're looking at like a map it doesn't feel inaccessible like it's a very small waterway channel but mm-hmm. still just the fact that it was set apart enough that it was minorly inconvenient. To get to makes me feel like it was so much easier for them to get away with stuff like this. Just like Danvers State Hospital was, at the time of it being built, was pretty secluded. Like it was up on this hill and not a ton of stuff was around it. (sighs) It's just, it's terrible how we treat each other. Everyone should just be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Me included. I need to work on being nicer. It's always a goal of mine. We all can. Be nicer. Man, oh man. Wow. How wild. Well, I'm glad that they're closed down. I hope that the spirits aren't overly upset with the residences being built in these properties. But at least they're not operating anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, I have a spooky email to read us. To read to us. Wow. English. Great. It's going well already. (laughs) Uh, This is from our listener, Charlissa. Charlissa? Sorry. Charlissa? Charlissa. Hopefully one of those was correct. (laughs) Hi, ladies, Leia and Ghost. I love all things spooky and therefore your podcast as well. I've been listening for a little over a year now from episode one to the newest, and I'm currently on Encounters 92. All right, let's get to it. So, for Halloween, my boyfriend and I thought it would be a good idea to do a three hour ghost hunt at Rolling Hills Asylum, which is only an hour and a half away from where we live in upstate New York. I feel like this one just time and time again gets brought up. Yes. Rolling Hills Asylum. It's spooky as. Spooky as. The hunt took place from 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. the morning of Halloween. So the first few hours into October 31st, not the night of Halloween, which would technically make it on the 1st of November. Something I had to remind my boyfriend of. LOL. (laughs) I haven't emailed you about it yet because not much happened while we were there other than a door slamming when no one was around and possibly a disembodied scream from the screaming lady. We still have yet to finish going through our voice recordings that we had kept on the whole hunt. And I was planning on sending an email after with all the EVPs we caught if you liked. And we have one definite one so far and four other possible ones. Hell yeah. And have only listened to about an hour of the two hours worth of recording. Oh, my gosh. But now back to it. All right. Well, not back to it. We need you to send us Yes. Need it. Need it. Okay, now back to it. I have a pretty decent collection of Harry Potter Lego sets that were all Mm. put together and set up on our coffee table, and that table was pushed against the wall. Now, these have been set up like this for at least a month prior to our ghost hunt with no issues. Then my boyfriend and I started noticing random pieces would be off of the completed sets and on the table or on the floor by themselves. And we have three cats, so we didn't really think much of it. Until one night, my boyfriend was in the kitchen, which is connected right to our living room, where the previously mentioned coffee table Lego display is. (laughs) Now, his back was to the living room as he was making something in the kitchen, coffee or food, I'm not sure, when he hears a pop and a clank, much like when a Lego gets snapped off of another Lego and then dropped. He turns around to investigate, and he noticed that one of the Quidditch hoops pole still attached had popped off of the base and went a foot more into the living room. From the table. No cats in sight. They were all upstairs with me. Now, this happens a few more times with various other Lego pieces, and we finally realized that it had only started after our trip to Rolling Hills Asylum. After said epiphany, I went downstairs alone one morning, sitting in our recliner across from the living room facing the TV and coffee table. I hear a pop and I see a Lego piece fly about six inches into the air and then hit the table and land about a foot away from it again. Mm. Again, I was alone downstairs. My boyfriend was asleep upstairs, as were our three cats. And it is in this instance that I recalled a moment in the asylum where I was in one of the old children's rooms. During our time at the asylum, I was speaking out loud to the rooms, hoping to catch a response back from our voice recorder. While in said children's room, I noticed some Legos on the ground that must have been left for the kids from a previous visitor. And I said, oh, do you like Legos? I like Legos too. I have a bunch at home. And now I'm thinking that whatever kid was in that room that heard me say that took it as an invitation to come home with us and play with our Legos. After I have chills and I'm also grinning because I love this. Oh, (sighs) after I told my boyfriend of the second epiphany, we decided to let the ghost know that if they wanted to play with our Legos, that that was okay, (laughs) just to be mindful and careful with them. After that, we would still find Legos moved in other places, but we never witnessed any of them being flown across the room anymore. They were kept to the tabletop. A couple more weeks go by and my boyfriend and I decide to disassemble the Lego creation as they were catching dust and taking up our entire coffee table. And nothing much more happened. Then, a few nights ago, we decided to put two more smaller Harry Potter Lego sets that I had more recently gotten. Now, this takes us upstairs. Our apartment was an addition that was on an already two-family home that the owners had turned into a three-family home. Our bedroom is a loft-style bedroom up on the second floor with no actual room door. It just leads straight into our stairs. Our one bathroom is up there as well. And because of the addition, our bedroom floor is a little uneven and creaky. Anytime we step, you can hear it. And if you're on the bed, you can feel the floor shift sometimes. These floor creaks can be heard downstairs clear as day. Our bedroom floor slash living room floor ceiling is so creaky and thin that I can always tell when my boyfriend has finally woken up. And one time our smoke detector, which at the time was in our living room on the ceiling, had fallen out of its holder because my boyfriend stepped on the floor in our bedroom just right to shift it and cause oh it to God. fall out. Gosh, I would feel like the ceiling's gonna give. Like <laughs> I would <laughs> be scared to live here. Now, if you're on the bed, directly across from it is the TV and to the left is the bathroom, diagonally between those two, the stairwell. This is important. Last night, the two small Lego sets that we had just built just two to three days ago were sitting on the floor in front of our TV. I was laying on my stomach on the left side of the bed, closest to the bathroom, trying to fall asleep. Now, I'm not fully asleep yet. I'm tired enough where everything's kind of groggy, but awake enough that I can hear everything clear as day still. So I hear my boyfriend go downstairs, probably to make coffee. He's addicted. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I'm hearing him moving around downstairs... And one of our cats is meowing at him from down there as well. Then I hear slash feel someone walking by me from the bathroom towards the TV. I turn over to check for the other two cats and they are both sleeping next to me on the right side of the bed. As I had started to turn towards the TV to check, I hear the footsteps again, this time heading back to the bathroom. And that's when I realize it's louder and heavier than our cats, but not as loud as my boyfriend. It almost Mm. seems as if it's a child. Maybe around the age of seven. No more than four feet tall or 90 pounds. Quick little footsteps, like when kids try to be sneaky. Mm -mm. I'm still half asleep, so I'm not thinking much of it, and I close my eyes again. Then I feel the footsteps run back towards the TV slash Lego sets. A short while later, I hear my boyfriend coming back upstairs, our third cat coming back up with him. Then comes the little running footsteps back towards the bathroom and away from the Legos. My last groggy thought before I finally fully fell asleep was ghost kid was sneaking a play in with the Legos. I need to email the girls about this. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Now that was just last night and I haven't told my boyfriend about this because if it really happened, he would have heard it downstairs as well. And now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't hear the walking. I felt the walking, which is odd because our floors always creak. And if the motion was enough for me to feel it, then I definitely should have heard it. If I tell him, he'll probably just chalk it up to sleep paralysis, which he thinks is 100% scientific and not at all paranormal, although I've actually experienced it unlike him and have doubts about it not being paranormal whatsoever. Plus, I was laying on my stomach and I've never had sleep paralysis, and I've never heard of sleep paralysis where the person wasn't laying on their back. Not to mention the one time that I've experienced sleep paralysis, it left me with a feeling akin to night terrors, accompanied with the sight of a seven-foot-tall shadow man Think of aliens and signs, but completely black shadow. What I experienced last night left me with the thought of a cute little ghost kid just wanting to check out some Legos. Mm -hmm. Stay spooky, Charlissa. Wow. Oh, wait. She said take the first half of Charlotte. So Char and the second half of Alyssa and mash them together. Charlissa. Charlissa. Okay, got it. I wonder how long the kid's going to stay. I mean, I feel like the fact that they put the Legos away and the kid didn't immediately leave makes me think he's there for a while. For a while. Because he knows that there's
1: just going to be more coming now. Wow. And they were like, if you want to play with it, you can just, like,
0: be wary of them. Wow. I like that he listened,
1: you know? Me too. I mean, the kid clearly just wants to play with some Legos, and she said, I have some at home, which... I don't know. That does
0: sound like an invitation. It does. And also the only Legos he got to play with at the asylum were just the ones that were consistently there. He didn't have like the new best sets, the Harry yeah. Potter sets, the hoops, the characters. He didn't get all that. No. Wow. Aww.
1: And that's like, I mean, we've in and now in recent emails from people who've gone to Rolling Hills Asylum, they're all kind of like decent
0: hauntings yeah if i'm remembering correctly didn't one person feel like a child hold her hand was that
1: Rolling hills asylum i think so i think it was part of like the huge email of like the whole experience yeah yeah a lot of kids the kids are active lots of them yeah i'm glad that they're happy and just innocent you know i just feel Mm -hmm. like those the conditions at these places were not great and so i'm i'm happy to hear the kids are still happy
0: yes I agree. They seem to be in good spirits and enjoying the ghost life. Yeah. Oh, the ghost life. (laughs) The ghost
1: life is for me. I have a story from Hannah, and it's called Abandoned Mental Asylum Story. Hi, spooky ladies. Hannah here. I love slash hate this story as it was one of the creepiest things I've ever done. So (laughs) myself, my friend Anya, her brother and his girlfriend all went on a little road trip to the abandoned Denby Mental Asylum in Wales, England. We'd been there a couple of times before and always felt weird presences slash heard weird noises, but nothing like this. Looking back, I think I put some of my experiences down to really focusing on the ghosts, this time more than usual, although I had taken pictures with orbs in them. So we walk up across the field as the man who owns the asylum doesn't really appreciate visitors and is known to set his dog on anyone who he catches there, so we snuck in across the field and in through the back. There's also a rumor that this guy bought the place after it closed, as he used to be a caretaker, and when it was still running, and he fell in love with a nurse who later died, and he bought the place as a way to still be close to her. All the feels. Anyway, as we were walking up, we bumped into these two guys who were ghost hunting, so my friends and I decided, hell yes, you can stick with us, all of us love the paranormal. These guys were equipped with a camera and a spirit box, so I was very excited to get in there. We started going through the buildings, and nothing really happened, except from Anya getting attacked by a bat, but then we went into the building that was said to house the most violent patients. We formed a circle with our backs facing inwards in a futile attempt to protect ourselves from getting grabbed from behind. The guys we were with were encouraging the spirits to do something, so we'd know that they were there, which is so dumb, I know, and all of a sudden... (laughs) A big stone came flying across the room and hit a few of us in the ankles. Safe to say we jumped out of our skins. It was hardly a brick, but it was definitely heavy enough. We then went into the underground tunnels where there are some old gurneys and chairs, etc. So the ghost hunter guys decided we should try to communicate and someone should sit on a creepy old chair that we found. Me, being the complete moron slash paranormal nerd that I am, volunteered. I sat down and instantly felt the air get heavier, and then they all started to communicate with the spirits. The air got heavier and heavier. I couldn't hold my head up, and my hands started curling around the armchairs so tight that my knuckles were turning white. And that is when I felt the breathing on the back of my neck and what felt like a hand on my shoulder. I barely made it off that chair, but as soon as I did, I told them we had to move on. After we left the tunnels, we walked along a path between two of the buildings when suddenly I heard a bang come from the top of one of the buildings and then some running and giggling. I turned around and looked at everyone and I was like, did you hear that shit? But no one had heard it except for Anya who was staring at me mouth open. It didn't just happen the once either. It was like someone was running up and down the hall. Finally, we get into another building and into a room where there was a big wooden door and a balcony high up on the wall with no way to get to it because quite a few of the floors had fallen in. And that's when we got the spirit box out. And this is the conversation we had. Is anyone there? Yes. Are you a doctor? No. Are you a patient? Yes. Do you mean us harm? Yes. Can you make a sound so we know where you are? Two heavy knocks on the big wooden door. Can you tell us the name of someone in our group? Annie. And Annie is Anya's nickname. So our hearts dropped. At this point, we decided to just communicate through the door. Two knocks for yes, one for no. Do you mean us any harm? Knock, knock means yes. Do you want us to leave? Knock, knock, even louder this time. Knowing how to take a hint, we turned out the door and left, closing our eyes and imagining a white light, which is apparently a way to make sure nothing followed you home. And luckily, nothing did. I'm sure there's more, but at the minute, this is all I can remember, and I'll email if I remember anything else. Thank you so much for reading. Keep it up with the amazing podcast. See you on the other side. Hannah.
0: Ooh, creepy. There's always something so creepy when they name, when the the spirit or the entity names someone from your group.
1: Yeah. Because it's like, it's either listening to you because it's heard you say the name out loud
0: or... You haven't said it out loud and it just knows. It just knows. And if it knows you and is vocally like being quite upfront about its intent to cause you harm, do what Hannah and the group did and freaking run. Leave. Run. (laughs) Get out of there. Don't ask more questions. Because it's one of those things where if this was
1: a movie or a TV show like Ghost Adventures, that would be like the beginning of the
0: episode. And then you'd have still an hour more to go. An hour more. Yeah. 100%. And you're just like the whole time you're like, no, why are you doing this? Get out. Yeah. And you're losing the trust of the spirits too. Like the next people that go in are probably going to be like, have an even worse experience because you just didn't trust the spirits when they said leave. It's just better to run. But Hannah and her group did. Just run. Run away. Just run. Always better to run away. I wonder what exactly this was because the person said, the spirit said that They were, they'd previously been a patient, right? but they meant to cause harm and wanted them to leave. So I wonder if it was like a scare tactic just to like have them leave or if this was, I always go back, I always refer back to the Bell Witch Cave in Mm. Tennessee where like this woman who was kind of like a wretched neighbor, like part of her in her death had broken off and created this whole new entity that was bad, even though she wasn't necessarily a bad person. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell, right? Because-
1: if they were really poorly treated in their time there, then I don't blame them for wanting to hurt whoever comes in because it's like they don't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never heard of this mental asylum, so we'll have to look it up and do another episode about this. I
0: know. We need to leave the U.S. and, and head to international asylums. the Wales. To Wales. I want to go to Wales. I just wanted to travel anywhere. I know. Really? Anywhere would be great. <laughs> Come on. Anywhere. Yeah. Well, maybe in another year or so. Just hoping they extend my flight credit from all my canceled flights (laughs) so I don't lose my money there. You'll be hearing from me, airlines. Well, this was great. This was fun It was, as it always is. And we encourage you, please, to send us your experiences, your emails at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you know any contractors, any laborers who've been in haunted places, either being constructed or just like working on on homes or places that they've discovered to be mm-hmm. haunted, we want to hear about it. Yeah, we do. Uh, and there are so many ways to support our podcast.
1: You can rate and review us on iTunes, please. And thank you, because that makes me really happy. <laughs> and you can follow us on Instagram. You can join our Facebook group. You can join our pyramid scheme because that's fun. Why not? Don't you want to do something new and different this year?
0: Yeah. And telling your grandparents that you joined a pyramid scheme during a pandemic is a great way to reintroduce yourself into society once everything lets up. Yeah. So I encourage you to do so. It's a great icebreaker with anyone.
1: have you forgotten how to have you forgotten how to make friends or talk to strangers
0: well just tell them you joined a pyramid scheme and
1: (laughs) you're welcome
0: and then when you tell them the name they're gonna be even they're gonna have more questions you're gonna make so many friends Uh, you can also, I forget where we even left off, but we have social media if Sprint didn't say that. I did. You did? Okay. Then. Uh... <laughs> and we will see you on the other, other side. side.